The Square Egg and Other Sketches by Saki. Read by Richard Crowest. The Old Town of Skof. Russia, at the present crisis of its history, not unnaturally suggests to the foreign mind a land pervaded with discontent and disorder, and weighed down with depression, and it is certainly difficult to point to any quarter of the imperial dominions from which troubles of one sort or another are not reported. In the Novoa Vremia and other papers, a column is now devoted to the chronicling of disorders as regularly as a British news sheet reports sporting events. It is the more agreeable, therefore, occasionally to make the acquaintance of another phase of Russian life where the sombreness of political mischance can be momentarily lost sight of or disbelieved in. Perhaps there are few spots in European Russia where one so thoroughly feels one has passed into a new and unfamiliar atmosphere as the old town of Skolf, once in its day a very important centre of Russian life. To the average modern Russian, a desire to visit Skolf is an inexplicable mental freak on the part of a foreigner who wishes to see something of the country he is living in. Petersburg, Moscow, Kiev, perhaps, and Nizhny Novgorod, or the Finnish watering places if you want a country holiday. But why Skolf? And thus, happily, an aversion to beaten tracks and localities where inspection is invited and industriously catered for, turns one towards the old great Russian border town, which probably gives as accurate a picture as can be obtained of a medieval Russian borough, untouched by Mongol influence and only slightly affected by Byzantine imported culture. The little town has ample charm of situation and structure, standing astride of a bold scarp of land wedged into the fork of two rivers, and retaining yet much of the long lines of ramparts and towers that served for many a hundred years to keep out pagan Lithuanians and marauding Teuton knights. The powers of darkness were as carefully guarded against in those old days as more tangible human enemies, and from out of thick clusters of treetops there still arise the white walls and green roofs of many churches, monasteries and bell-towers, quaint and fantastic in architecture and delightfully harmonious in colouring. Steep, winding streets lead down from the rampart-girt heart of the town to those parts which lie along the shores of the twin rivers, and two bridges, one a low, wide wooden structure primitively planted on piles, give access to the further banks where more towers and monasteries, with other humbler buildings, continue the outstraggling span of the township. On the rivers lie barges with high masts painted in wonderful bands of scarlet, green, white and blue, topped with gilded wooden pennons figured somewhat like a child's rattle, and fluttering strips of bunting at their ends. Up in the town one sees on all sides quaint old doorways, deep archways, wooden gable ends, railed staircases, and a crowning touch of pleasing colour in the sage green or dull red of the roofs. But it is strangest of all to find a human population in complete picturesque harmony with its rich old-world setting. The scarlet or blue blouses that are worn by the working men in most Russian towns give way here to a variety of gorgeous tinted garments, and the womenfolk are similarly gay in their apparel, so that streets and wharves and marketplace glow with wonderfully effective groupings of colour. 
Mulberry, orange, dull carmine, faded rose, hyacinth purple, greens and lilacs and rich blues mingle their hues on shirts and shawls, skirts and breeches and waistbands. Nature competing with Percy Anderson was the frivolous comment that came to one's mind, and certainly a medieval crowd could scarcely have been more effectively staged. And the business of a town in which it seemed always market day went forward with an air of contented absorption on the part of the inhabitants. Strings of primitively fashioned carts went to and from the riverside, the horses wearing their bits for the most part hung negligently under the chin, a fashion that prevails in many parts of Russia and Poland. Quaint little booths lined the sides of some of the steeper streets, and here wooden toys and earthenware pottery of strange local patterns are set out for sale. On the broad marketplace women sit gossiping by the side of large baskets of strawberries. One or two long-legged foals sprawl at full stretch under the shade of their parental market carts, and an extremely contented pig pursues his leisurely way under the guardianship of an elderly dame, robed in a scheme of orange, mulberry and white that would delight the soul of a colourist. A stalwart peasant rides across the uneven cobbles, leading his plough-horse, and carrying on his shoulder a small wooden plough with iron-tipped shares that must date back to some stage of agriculture that the West has long left behind. Down in the buoyant waters of the Velikaya, the larger of the two rivers, youths and men are disporting themselves, and stader washerwomen are rinsing and smacking piles of many-hued garments. It is a pleasure to swim well out into the stream of the river, and, with one's chin on a level with the wide stretch of water, take in a trout's-eye view of the little town, ascending in tiers of wharfage, trees, grey ramparts, more trees and clustered roofs, with the old cathedral of the Trinity poised guardian-like above the crumbling walls of the Kremlin. The cathedral, on closer inspection, is a charming specimen of genuine old Russian architecture, full of rich carvings and aglow with scarlet pigment and gilded scrollwork, and stored with yet older relics or pseudo-relics of local hero-saints and hero-princes who helped in their day to make the history of the Skolf Commonwealth. After an hour or two spent among these tombs and icons and memorials of dead Russia, one feels that some time must elapse before one cares to enter again the drearily magnificent holy places of St. Petersburg, with their depressing nouveau riche atmosphere, their priceless-tongued attendance, and general lack of historic interest. The heart knoweth its own bitterness, and maybe the Scoffiers, amid their seeming contentment and self-absorption, have their own hungerings for a new and happier era of national life. But the stranger does not ask to see so far. He is thankful to have found a picturesque and apparently well-contented corner of a weary land, a land where distress seems like a bird of passage that has hurt its wing and cannot fly away. Thank you.